From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of the W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help CMOs in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. Boy, that's a mouthful, huh? <laughs> and uh, today, we have our really lucky uh, audience to uh, talk about the future of media and marketing with uh, one of the gurus uh, of that category, David Meerman Scott. And uh, David's an online thought leader and viral marketing strategist. Uh, he has developed award-winning programs responsible for selling over a billion dollars in products and services worldwide. And he's the author of the number one best-selling PR and marketing book, which I can't recommend more highly, The New Rules of Marketing and PR, How to Use News Releases, Blogs, Viral Marketing, and Online Media to Reach Buyers Directly. Do check out his uh, wonderful blog at webinknow.com. That's webink, uh, I-N-K, now.com. Uh, and or download his free ebook at David Meerman Scott, and it's just like it sounds. Meerman is spelled with two e's, R M A N. dot com. David, welcome and thanks for joining us at Market Edge. It's great to be here, Larry. Thanks for having me. First question: Before we dive into some of the uh, the thoughts that are, are in your book, what was the sort of genesis of of the book itself? I mean, what made you realize that this sort of tsunami was happening? Well, I actually um, start, it started ages ago because my first job was on a bond trading desk in New York, and I was using electronic content every day. And then I was working um, after that. I, I took a job at Knight Ritter. I was in charge of Asia marketing for Knight Ritter, and I was running their electronic uh, information um, properties out of Asia, about a half-billion-dollar business worldwide. And those things taught me how important content is and as a marketer, there's nothing more impo- important than uh, creating great information to share with the people um, that you want to know what you're doing. So that that can take the form of blogs and ebooks and YouTube videos and podcasts and whatnot. And I realized as, as I started to talk about this that people thought I had like eight heads. I was like, what in the world are you talking about? Are you some kind of crazy man? <laughs> and I and I realized that so many people are just thinking about marketing and PR under what I then coined as the old rules of marketing and PR, which were really simple. You either had to buy your way into people's minds with expensive advertising, or you had to beg your way in through the media by trying to get the media to write your story. The new rules of marketing and PR are really different. You can publish your way in with content. And once I kind of figured that stuff out, I mean, just it was screaming to be written down on a bit of paper. And the first place I wrote it down was in the form of an ebook called The New Rules of PR, which is on my site and my blog. And it got downloaded more than a quarter of a million times, like, wow, I got, got something going here. Wow. So then it, was a, then it was a matter of putting it together in the form of a hardcover book, which was published by none other than Wiley, also publisher of <laughs> Larry's great book, Marketing to the Social Web. Um, and and um, 
and, and it was really, it's really kind of getting this understanding that there are new ways to do it. And people who learned under the old rules, either at school or uh, on-the-job training, um, have to unlearn what they've learned. One of the frustrating things, at least for you know people like uh, myself in, in more the service side of the business, is that there still seems to be a what I call almost a Berlin Wall attitude of the television advertisers about accepting the the changes that are happening and that it's going to be hard work that it's not the status quo what what's your view and and is there a way to break that thinking down well i think that you know tv is tv is tv and there's still room for advertising and tv however the web is so different and um, you know the idea of 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 marketing on the internet is not one way broadcast messages uh, about your products, which is what TV advertising is, in my opinion, and um, and it, that just uh, that approach just doesn't work. So, what I've found um, to be really true is that if you want to do a good television commercial, you hire an agency who's skilled at, at television commercials. If you want to uh, do some interesting things on the web, you don't hire a PR person. You don't hire an advertising person. Um, a lot of the, the best people out there have journalism backgrounds. You know, they're, they're good at creating content in all of its forms. And I think what it comes down to is a different way of thinking about what marketing is. It's not interruption. It's not one way. It's not broadcast. It's not messages. It's about publishing content. And who better to, pu- to, to help organizations understand how to publish content than someone who's got a background in that, which is, which is journalists. So I think either people who are skilled at, at um, doing television commercials need to hire that journalism skill set into their shops uh, or, or somehow learn it themselves, because I think that's what it takes. Just as a side um, question on that, to carry the thought, I agree with you about the the content and the sort of journalistic richness of creating that content. But I also am seeing a trend of, of almost uh, hyper-visualization moving into the web, that it's going to be less text-based. Um, do you talk about in your book, or do you uh, do you address the need for those visual skills as we move forward as content creators in a new world? Yeah, I, I do talk about it a little bit. Um, I talk more about words, but I do talk about the, 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 the visual aspect, and it is extremely important. But remember that um, when I use the word journalist, there's also um, radio journalists, um, you know, doing the sort of thing we're doing right now. There's um, uh, broadcast journalists who are really good at telling a story with with television, there's photojournalists who are really good at telling stories with photos and images and and whatnot. So I think um, when I use the the term journalist and the skill sets that are important are people who are really good at telling stories online, and they're good at it because they understand how words, images, moving pictures, audio, um, music, whatnot can tell stories. Um, and I, and I and and that's that's those are the sorts of skills that really make sense in in today's internet world. As I, as we look out, you know, three, four, five years, what do you see as the, you know, the the lasting and and the the, the most important impact social media is going to have on mainstream media? As you say, there's always probably a place for television and one-way entertainment, uh, et cetera. But what is 
you seeing as we move into sort of a next generation of social media that's more sophisticated, that's more micro-segmented, and its impact on customer society and mainstream media? What a big question, Larry. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think what I what I get so excited about, and when I when I'm on the speaking circuit, and you and I have actually spoken at a couple of the same conferences in the last few years, uh, I'm sure you you experienced this as well. What people get so excited about is this concept that they can regain control. They can regain control of 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 what they're talking about and and in many ways um the the period of time we've gone through for the past 50 or 60 years is kind of like an aberration i mean you know um think about 100 years ago or 200 years ago um when people had something to market and sell they they went to the the village green or to the town square and they brought their chicken with them and they said do you want to buy a chicken or some eggs and the deal was done or um or you you went to the apothecary because you had a headache and they mixed up a potion and sold it to you and and the whole mass market thing changed everything um for 50 or 60 years and it was all about mass markets and trying to reach uh, large groups of people with dumbed down messages and we're back to the future in a way we're back to where we were um, when people communicated and, 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 and provided information directly, it just happens to have shifted to the electronic medium. And, and everything that companies and organizations, individuals, churches, rock bands, um, presidential candidates can do on the web is the same things that they did in person. They can, they can deliver information themselves without having to buy access and deliver information themselves without having to have someone else tell that story for them, a, you know, a mainstream media sort of, sort of person. And, I, and it's just terribly exciting. And, um, and I think there's lots of people who have, who have, um, who have, have captured that excitement themselves and, and are jumping in and doing this stuff. But at the same time, getting back to what you said earlier, there's a lot of people who are a little bit scared of it, who don't understand it, who are trying to apply the things that they've already learned uh, to this new medium, and, and it's not really working that well. One of the pushbacks I get sometimes from companies, and I know you've heard this, is, well, you know, you talk about that regaining of control for for people, which is absolutely true. And 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 that's a lot of what this is about. But that said, there's these companies that are, as long as they can remember, they're used to controlling their messages and right. not being completely transparent. When are they going to really realize that these conversations are happening anyway? Why don't they participate? Why don't they understand that branding's about the dialogue you have with your customer? Yeah, I, you know, it's a really good question. I, I know, I know there are so many organizations are, that are like that. You know, um, I, I tr- personally tried had a bad experience with one of the airlines. I blogged about it. Um, basically, what happened was I was uh, a year ago. I booked a trip for my family for the for um, the the period of time between Christmas and New Year's. Paid for the tickets. Um, got the 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 the, the um, itinerary that I wanted and. Um, and I only had a very tiny window because I have a high school age daughter who's also a competitive swimmer. So we literally had just a very small window. And a couple of days before we we're going to leave, the airline emails me and said, "Sorry, we changed the schedule, and you lose. You don't have a ticket." So I blogged about it, and then I, nobody, and a bunch of people commented. No one from the airline did. And I tried to reach them. I couldn't. <laughs> there was no physical way to reach this huge airline. You, I mean, I literally could not reach them. There was no way for them to understand that I was frustrated. Um, 
and I think that what's, what it's going to take is, is, is companies that, under, that do understand it who, who end up doing better than those, those old line companies who want to control their message, uh, these companies who want to uh, maintain control, who, who want to assume that they, can, they can, um, can control what people are thinking about them. And, you know, I, I don't know who, whose quote this is, but I've stolen it and I've forgotten who said it first. Maybe you would know, but... Um, your your brand on the internet is whatever Google says it is. Mm-hmm. So you know if I go and and I Google U.S. Airways, which is the airline that that screwed me, and and the first thing that comes up, and it's not, but it could be, would be this this scathing blog post I wrote. Well then. Um, that's what your brand is, I and mean, you can't control that anymore. And but the way that you can influence that is by by participating, as you say, and and by being a part of those conversations, and a being and and being some, an organization that puts out interesting information that people want to consume and and interact with. And and and, and unfortunately, not that many really large organizations are doing that these days. I hate to say it and give him a plug, but I do like him, so I'll have to do it. That was Seth Godin that uh, that said that about. Did Google he say that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so. I thought you might remember who said that, but I. But it really is true, isn't it? Yeah, it your, is. Your it brand is. on the web is whatever Google says it is. Um, we're going to take a short commercial break right now. Please stand by, and we'll be right back with this great conversation with David Meerman Scott, and uh, and a lot more to come. Thank you. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. XY7.com. Do you have a website? XY7.com. Would you like to convert your clicks into cash? XY7.com. Is the affiliate network that pays you daily? XY7.com. Not all website clicks are the same, but they're all worth money. XY7.com. Join today and start earning cash now. XY7.com. Has guaranteed commissions. You'll get paid even if we don't. Go to XY7.com now. Convert your website clicks to cash. Can you believe how long it takes to order food here? Uh, here we go. Excuse me. She's not even looking over here. Great service is hard to come by. Whether you're sitting in a bar, restaurant, or creating effective search advertising campaigns. Um, excuse me. I think we need to go somewhere else. It's easy to feel forgotten, especially when your advertising budget is on the line. LookSmart serves up to 400 million queries a day with a side of the best customer service in the online advertising industry. Hi, how are y'all doing today? What can I get you folks to eat? You were right. This place is so much better. LookSmart, premium and performance advertising solutions. Are your domains working hard enough for you? Now, park your portfolio at RevenueDirect.com to maximize your earnings on traffic. With RevenueDirect's proven domain monetization service, you'll experience better payouts, more options, and smart optimization. Sign up free now at RevenueDirect.com. It's that easy. RevenueDirect. Make more money. Period. The Hook. You get to see so much work at Cannes. It's not great work, but some of it really is. And you know what I really love about it? Because I didn't know if we were going to talk about the partying. (laughs) It's my show, and everybody that knows me knows I like to party. You know me, I like to party. The Hook. Live broadcast Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Learning how to monetize your domains, zero dollars. Listening to affiliate marketing tips on your iPod, zero dollars. Getting the latest search news on your cell phone, 
zero dollars. Listening to Dave N. talk about garlic breath, well, worthless. WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with David Meerman Scott talking about the future of media and marketing. David's a well-known uh, thinker and uh, leader in the, uh, the new social media and marketing movement, and he has a best-selling book that I hope all of you pick up called The New Rules of Marketing and PR, How to Use News Releases, Blogs, Viral Marketing, and Online Media to Reach Buyers Directly. You can check out his blog at webinknow.com uh, or download his free ebook at davidmeermanscott.com. David, we were talking about how companies are starting to deal with this whole, you know, um, new uh, era of, of social media and marketing and, and uh, customers more in control. What are some of the opportunities you talk about in your book uh, that the marketers have to leverage social media? I think I think a lot of it comes down to um, this idea that people want to do business with other people, with human beings, <laughs> and so often over the past, I mean, it's a really it's a radical concept, isn't it? Gee, yeah, <laughs> you know, that you want to do business with human beings, and and so often the way that organizations are set up is it's like this nameless, faceless corporate entity that um, that there it's it's almost as if there aren't any people there. Uh, that's one reason why often, you know, um, the customer support representatives at companies that that don't have a lot of humans there are um, are just in a really d- bad position because that's the only place that people can interact directly with that company, whether those support reps are on the phones or or, or somewhere in person. And I think the opportunity is a tremendous one. The opportunity is to. Um, have people, real people within the, those those companies, large companies, large and small, to participate on the forums that their their buyers, their customers participate on, to um, read and comment on the blogs that the people um, in the markets that they serve are are writing and are paying attention to, and to contribute to the sorts of content that people like to consume, whether that's YouTube videos or creating audio podcasts or whatever it might be. And that's not just that's not to say that they should do what what some companies try to do, which is, well, we'll just take our brochure and repurpose them as, as blogs, <laughs> or re, we'll, re, we'll take our TV commercials and repurpose them as YouTube videos. That's not the idea. The idea is to, to put a human face back on your organization uh, in the form of, of being someone who participates uh, in the online world. And it doesn't have to be that big a deal. It doesn't have to be that expensive. It doesn't have to be that... that um, uh, the the fact that you think you're going to lose control because it isn't. It's just you're acting like a human being and and participating in a conversation. And what are you know, and I agree completely. What are some of the challenges you've seen though that you know in sort of this first generation of this that you know marketers and PR people have to be aware of uh, that it's not all going to be swimmingly you know done. Yeah, yeah. You know. 
Um, I'm a I'm a big one for analogies. One of my favorite analogies that I that I often use, and this this is one that that's, that people at large companies they sometimes they get it and they finally come around to sort of having a a different sort of understanding of the web. And it's real simple. I talk about the web in all of its guises as a city. So the analogy is the web is a city. And if you think of the web as a city, you've got a bunch of different ways that you can look at the different things going on in the web. eBay is the garage sale. Amazon is the bookstore. You've got your, your underworld of porn and, and spam artists and whatnot. And practically everything you see on the web can be have an analogy of something going on in the city. And so then the question is, what are blogs and forums and chat rooms and wikis and all these other places that people participate? It's really simple. They're the bars, the pubs, the saloons of the city. And what marketers need to think about is, imagine if they're in their town or their city, and there's people in the bar, in the saloon, in the pub, talking about them and their company and their CEO. And um, if they're not there and they have no friends in the bar and somebody starts to talk about you, they can say anything they want. And that's how rumors spread on the web. Um, and if, you don't, if you're not a known quantity in there, you're not a known quantity in there. And people don't interact with you and you, you sort of cease to exist unless there's a rumor and then that spreads. But if you are a known quantity, you participate in blogs and forums and chat rooms and wikis and, and whatnot, and you're, you're, you're a regular at that bar, then um, you develop relationships and, and you develop friendships. And people spread your, your ideas for you. They say, yeah, that's, that's a nice person. They, that's a great company. Those people are really interesting. That's an organization that I want to do business with. And being afraid to step in is not an excuse, or, or being fearful that people will spread rumors about you um, is actually more likely to happen if you're not there. So it's just a matter of being there and, and being somebody who's participative. And, what, and what's really interesting, to take the analogy one step, this tortured analogy one step further, is even if, you're, if, if you've started to make friends in the pub, in the saloon, and you've, you've got a bunch of people that you've interacted with over the last couple of months, and you're not there for a week, and somebody does start to say something about you, you have others who support you. They come to your defense. They say, I know that person personally. They would never do that. You must be mistaken. And all of a sudden, other people are helping you tell your story. Other people are helping to defend you. And um, I really, truly believe that every organization needs to be participating in some level, at least understanding what's being said and, and commenting on it, uh, whether or not they have their own um, uh, blog doesn't really matter, but they need to understand what others are saying and, and be able to comment. It's a great metaphor um, on the city. I absolutely agree. The the um, other thing I see happening quite a bit now, finally, in some of these more uh, enlightened corporations is I used to just have meetings with the marketing people or the corporate communications people. Now they're starting to bring in everybody that touches the customer in any type of way. Interesting. So you're yeah, seeing you that you do a lot more work in the in the larger companies than I do. Um, so so how is that working? Are they um, are they, are, they are people are people sort of getting to the point where they're they're ready to jump in and take the plunge? Yeah, and um, you know, last two years you've seen the sort of we'll try this project, that project. We'll do a podcast series. We might do a webinar or a webisode, and we're finally starting to see they're bringing in the head of s customer service. They'll bring in the head of sales. 
how do we start to create a unified community of information that can be shared with our customers and potential customers right. and it's actually it's it's very refreshing to see this finally beginning and the other thing that I'd love your comment on is we're finally this was just before uh, the holidays last year we're finally starting to see some title changes in corporate America. Mm. I saw my first director of content. I saw my first VP of community. And it's like, and I don't think that's just a fad. I think that's going to have to be some kind of trend that continues on to reshape the reporting structure and the responsibility of these new types of marketing. Yeah, I'm starting to see that as well myself. The first place I started to see that pop up is is with IBM. And um, a couple of months ago, I had a great conversation with a guy called Tim Washer. His title is Manager of New Media Web Video for IBM. And what's interesting to me about IBM in particular is that for a long time, they were they were sort of a poster child for a very corporate, conservative, white shirt, you know, dark suit kind of company, and for, for many years. And um, through um, sort of the, the online world and being very participative, and they have 3,000 blogs at IBM, they have hundreds of podcasts, they do, they do YouTube videos, they do all sorts of cool stuff, and they have people whose jobs it is to participate with this stuff. And incidentally, getting back to what we talked about before the break, many of those people that are doing this sort of thing at IBM are actually have journalism backgrounds, um, that they're, um, they're actually this small group of people is changing the face of IBM and making, making IBM more of a, of a human organization that, that's got, um, you know, that's, that's got some, some, um, uh, some, some, some background to it and not just a bunch of nameless, faceless people. Yeah, and you can actually feel it. IBM is a good example, uh, David, because you can actually feel the tension when I've been there recently between, you know, these ads that I saw in the football game uh, the other day that are costing them at least a million dollars a spot. And, you know, I'm not sure what the message is there. And the need to invest in more of the social media and marketing yeah. and really be a leader in that category. Yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, some thoughts on, uh, uh, which would be great, some, some thoughts on, um, you know, what I think of sometimes as the new mass media. I just had to ask you this question. Is everybody, you know, my kids are all into Facebook. I have oh, these yeah. 20-somethings that come in and, and they they don't have their Yahoo page up first. They have Facebook come up first. But in a way, to me, it's like when my grandmother and mother would just turn on CBS and leave it on for eight hours a day, and they wouldn't go to other channels. I mean, where do where do MySpace, Facebook go? Because in a way, to me, they are a type of uh, hangover of the mass media uh, era. Interesting. Huh. I never really thought about it that way. I'm still absolutely intrigued and fascinated with Facebook in particular, partly because I have a 14-year-old daughter and um, and, and, and I think I think everybody needs to have a teenager. If you don't have one in your own house, rent one. <laughs> you know, borrow one, um, sit next to one, um, and just watch what they do. My 14-year-old, um, you're right, Facebook is the first thing that comes up. And then she, um, then she pops up, a, she has two or three IMs going at once. She's got the iPod in her ears, and she's doing homework all at the same time. 
participating in Facebook, a couple of IMs, the iPod going, and homework all at the same time. Um, I, I had um, a couple of her friends in the car recently, and um, and we were just talking. You know, I, I, again, you got, everyone needs to have a teenager or at least access to them uh, to find out what's going on in the world of online media. So I said, well, tell me about email. How do you guys use email? And one of them in the back of the car pipes up and says, well, the only time I ever use email is when I need to send a thank you note to my friend's parents. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, I mean, how different is that? You know, my, our generation lives in email, and, and here this generation communicates exclusively among themselves with Facebook and IM, and it's utterly different. And so part of it is a generational thing, but I think part of it is that Facebook has gotten some things right in the way that um, uh, you can interact with people who, who agree to interact with you because you friend them. And yeah. I think it's probably, uh, it's probably transitional in that it will, this, this concept will morph into something, but I've seen a lot of, of use of Facebook in the business world and people inviting other people to seminars and webinars and whatnot or even physical, organ, f- physical meetings by using Facebook and ways for small groups of people who just happen to meet one another somewhere to, to get together uh, uh, virtually in the form of, of, a, of a little meeting space in Facebook. A couple of other cool examples is um, a couple, some of the universities are using my book in some of their classes, probably yours as well, and some of them have asked me, um, a couple of them, Boston University and Auburn University or two that come to mind, asked me to participate in their Facebook group where they discuss the book and social media and online marketing and online PR, and they're doing it on Facebook, and they've invited the author of the book that they're using as text to join them. How cool is that? And that never would have happened even a year ago. It's totally um, so I, cool. think, I think there's a lot of things that, that this will lead to. Um, and again, it's, it's a way to have conversations. It's a way to be human. It's a way to be participative that the one-way interruption stuff that we're used to, we couldn't do it with. And I think, um, you know, and I, don't, I didn't mean to uh, disparage Facebook. I do think it's uh, revolutionary in a way. But I do think it needs to get far more micro-segmented, just like you're talking about in the examples. Yeah. Yeah. To get, you know, far more granular, more quickly, um, I think is going to be the success uh, feature for them. There's also um, a huge problem with spam on, on Facebook. And I don't mean traditional spam as in, you know, unscrupulous markers. And there's just so much stuff coming over the transom when you become a member of Facebook. You know, there's so many of the widgets. There's, there must be six or 7,000 widgets that exist right now. And often the way it works is as soon as you sign up for a widget, they automatically sign up your friends and whatnot. And it, it, it's, it's, it's like a flood of stuff that you can't possibly pay attention to. So the challenge, I think, for, mar- for marketers, the challenge for individuals, and, and particularly for the people who run Facebook, is, is how to, to stem that flood of stuff that comes through. You know, people are a little bit nervous about ignoring their friends' requests, but now it's like, I, I asked my daughter, I said, Alice, Allison, my 14-year-old, what do you do when all these things come through? She says, Daddy, I ignore all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't need to do well, that stuff. <laughs> you, you're right. You're right about that. Everybody should have the teenager because I have a 15 year old 
that I gave $100 to last summer, and I said, you know, will you just tell me what's going on, good and bad, on Facebook? And she said, okay, that's yeah. easy. She comes into me a few weeks later, David, and she says, Dad, the lamest thing just happened on Facebook. I said, what happened? She said, yeah. Coke wants to be my friend. <laughs> How- <laughs> that's great. I love that. How lame is that? Awesome. Anyway, we have one more question, uh, David Meerman Scott. Give us at least a minute or a minute and a half on what's next. What's the future of uh, the new rules of marketing and PR for marketers that are listening today? Wow, the future! You put me on the spot. Um, the future is that there's going to be a lot more experimentation. There's going to be a, a lot more room for people to. Um, to to kind of just try new things and 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 to see what might work for them, um, and I, I, I'm not you know I'd prefer not to answer the question from the per- terms of technology because who knows every times I've tried to predict technology I'm wrong, but I do know that um, that what people do now when they do marketing and and they do public relations is they obsess about getting everything right, they want to make sure that that every word is spelled correctly and every image is perfect and the logo is exactly the right number of pixels wide and all these sorts of things. And that's a throwback to what we used to do in, um, in, in when we were focused on print and whatnot, because it had to be right if you were printing 100,000 copies of a direct mail piece. But on the web, it doesn't have to be right. You can fix it. You can redo it. You can delete it. And I think that people will be more inclined to experiment and throw things out and see how they work. And related to that, I see this concept of ideas spreading like a virus, viral marketing. I see that as also being true, that it's a lot about experimentation. And it's, it's very similar to the ways that venture capitalists fund um, companies or film studios uh, fund movies in that they choose... 20 movies to fund, hoping that one will be a blockbuster, or a venture capitalist will choose 20 companies to invest in with the hope that one will be a a high flyer and go public and return tons and tons of money. And the other ones will just become flops, and that's okay. And I think the same thing is true about where we're going in the direction of marketing. It used to be you do a campaign, you you know, let's say a direct mail campaign, you expect 2% response. So if you need 100 uh, respondents, you know exactly just how many um, of those direct mail pieces to produce. The new world is experiment, have fun, do a whole bunch of new things. And if you do 20 or 30 of them, one might take off and, and propel you to fame and fortune. Fabulous insights. David Meerman Scott, our guest on Market Edge today. He's the author of the best-selling The New Rules of Marketing and PR, How to Use News Releases, Blogs, Viral Marketing, and Online Media to Reach Your Buyers Directly. David, thanks so much for being my guest today. And thanks, everyone in the audience, for listening to today's Market Edge conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Larry, and and, and I'm glad you're doing this show. It's going to be great. I can't wait to hear who else you have on as guests. Thanks again, David, and everybody remember, tune in to webmasterradio.fm. Good day.